back to it before you know it. Thanks, Kurt. Which means that we will be through the Christmas season before we know it as well. Let's take it a little bit more slowly this year. Let's enjoy the season a little bit more this year. Let's look at some passages of Scripture that pertain to the coming of Christ well before Jesus actually came to earth. I have to say, I appreciate the work that Kirk puts into dividing these lessons up the way he does week in and week out. I've given him a hard time before about some of the Revelation stuff. But I I truly do mean this. Uh, We discuss as the session, we discuss a particular topic or a subject that we'd like to delve into, and Kirk puts it together after we decide. Well, today we're going to be looking at one specific verse, and that is Numbers 24, verse 17. If you look at the crux of our verse today, we see that it's Balaam that's speaking here. We'll talk a little bit more about him shortly. We see in John eight fifty six. Abraham had the privilege of seeing that that day that the Christ child's birth would come at some point in time, way down the road. We, this is an interesting verse here that, that we can borrow from some of the Revelation study language, so we're not going to go too far away from it, okay? The Hebrews were big on using past and present tense verbs together. I was and am. I am, but will be. We saw some of this a couple of weeks ago in Revelation 17. Look immediately at what's being said here in the early segment of this, uh, of verse 17. I see him, but not now. Some translations say, I shall see him, but not yet. That first translation is a, a bit more obvious here in that he talks of the now, at least that's the way we can translate this, but not now means it will all occur at some point in time, just not yet. So let's look at the two major themes that we have in this verse this morning. That's the star and the scepter. Then we'll kind of break the rest of the verse down around those two things. Scepter we want to look at first. The scepter, as we know it, is seen as a, a sign of royalty. Usually when we think of a a scepter, we think of it as the the possession of one with great authority. So I think we can safely, naturally assume here that this scepter will belong even to a king. And of course, we would know that king to be Jesus, wouldn't we? The star, on the other hand, I believe reiterates a term to describe Jesus as well. A star, of course, was a term that might be given to an eminent character. The giveaway here might be Revelation 2.28. We see how we keep going back to that particular book. You can't help it. I figured there'd be a little bit more laughter from that one. But that's okay. I'm, I'm willing to let it go. This is the Christmas season and I'm generous, so we'll, we'll just let it ride. Okay? But it's here. God is giving him the morning star in Revelation 2.28. Him, of course, is Jesus. But the star is more than a description. In 1 John 1 and, and in the book of John, for verse, or chapter 1, verse 9 and beyond, it talks a lot about God being the light. And we were born into darkness. 
Without the light of the world brought to us, that of course being Jesus the Christ, we would remain in darkness and the light would not be in us. And of course when we look at the star in the night, what do we see? We see light, don't we? Even the darkest, cloudiest nights that we could imagine are no comparison to the darkness that we were born into without Jesus in our lives. The darkness of sin, of course, is death. That is the the end result of sin. But because God is light, because His Son was sent to earth to be the light of the world, we know that God wants us to know that light as well. Yet Balaam talks about the star that will come out of Jacob. Meaning that Jesus will come from the generation born into the world through Jacob's seed. We mentioned Abraham a couple of minutes ago. Have you put together yet the connection then between Abraham, Jacob, and Jesus? Of course, remember the promise that God made with Abraham that if if he did what God commanded him to do, God would make Abraham so far in this life. If you think about Abraham, he had no children. He wanted a son, but had not had any children yet. God promised him that he would become the father of so many children it would be like sands on the beach. Think about that one for a minute. Next time you go to the beach, grab a couple of handfuls of sand and just think about it. Count the number of grains of sand you got right then. That'll take you a few minutes. But think about that. That's just how much of a promise God was going to give Abraham. And of course we know that Jacob was the grandson to Abraham through Isaac. So there's the connection. But we're not big fans of light by nature, you and I. Because of our sinful nature, we tend to want to cling to the darkness, don't we? It helps to hide our sinfulness, does it not? We don't want to run to the true light. Rather, we would run to an artificial light, light that makes us think that we really are somebody in this world. And yet, again, that artificiality only leads to death. Look at Matthew 4. Jesus himself was enticed with this artificial light when Satan tempted him three separate times. And we know what Jesus did three separate times, don't we? He ran, not to the world, but to his Father in heaven through the Scriptures. There should be our prime example of how to navigate the false light of the world. But a star is going to rise out of Jacob. And of course, the hope that Balaam had so long ago of a coming star, we know that Jesus has indeed come to us. That hope of salvation, of light from darkness has come to the world. That sign of forgiveness is ours today. He's also the scepter that rose out of Israel. He is the king that came to redeem us to be his people. He's our king who paid the ransom for our sins with his own life, his own blood. As our king He carries the scepter, for he has conquered death death, through his resurrection from the grave. So we've kind of addressed some of the description of what Balaam was seeing in in this verse. I want to address who Balaam was very quickly, so we can kind of see who God used in this instance to tell the world 
of a king who was coming to save us from our sins. The Bible tells us in Numbers 22, 5, Balaam was the son of Beor, B-E-O-R. He was living in Pathor near the Euphrates River. Balaam was highly regarded by the Moabites and the Midianites as, as a soothsayer, as we see in Joshua 13, and as a prophet, as we see in Numbers 24. He could bless or he could curse just with his words. And uh, that terrified an awful lot of people who knew of him but didn't know him personally, okay? His brother, Balaam's brother, Bala, B-E-L-A, was a king of Edom. And this is going to come into play at some point as well. Although Balaam lived among idolaters, he professed great knowledge and faith in God. So when the Israelites encroached on the plains of Moab, the king of the Moabites, which was Balak, summoned Balaam. He wanted him on his team. He wanted him on his side. He feared the Israelites would attack them, and he wanted Balaam to put a curse on them before the Israelites could do them great damage. Balak was trying to think ahead. We'd call it being proactive, I think, today. We see that in Numbers 22. Now, we're not going to go into the entire story of Balaam, but suffice it to say that Balak tempted Balaam with more and more money to place a curse on the Israelites. He becomes more and more enticed by Balak and the things of the world. This was weighing on him to make this decision, and Balak was not making it any easier for him. And I believe God sees the inner turmoil that Balaam was experiencing. Finally, if we know the story, Balaam is actually riding his donkey to go to Balak to knuckle under Balak's offer of riches for the curse. We know the story of Balaam's talking donkey, don't we? Uh, Doing everything in its power, all orchestrated by God, of course, to keep Balaam from sinning. Numbers 22, verse 29. Balaam is so struck with a desire to sin against God, he threatens to kill the donkey. Donkey would lean up against the wall and, you know, knocking Balaam around, all this other kind of stuff. And, And Balaam was just, you know, whacking the donkey pretty good. And wanted to kill him. After speaking to the donkey and one of God's angels, Balaam realizes that the sin he was about to commit, he eventually decided to go back home, understanding that he could only do what God had told him to do. Now, can you imagine having to make that kind of decision? We all do it one time or another as we become Christians. But this is Balaam now is giving up an awful lot of this world to do what God called him to do. Even with Balak's attempt to bring Balaam to sin against God's people, Balaam just could not do it. This kind of brings us to our reading for today. The point I wanted to make here is that God took an ordinary man who had what sounds like a reasonably strong faith in God, and he followed him to do great things for the good of the Israelites and for God's glory. Balaam spoke of the star, as verse 16 says in Numbers 24. He sees the vision of the Almighty. He sees him, but not yet. The already, or now, 
and the not yet. But the important thing here is that God has taken an ordinary guy, ordinary perhaps in comparison to others that we read about in the scriptures, and he used him to tell of coming greatness, the coming advent of God's son, Jesus. And it's a key point to our lesson for today. You see, we too are sinners, just like Balaam was. We too are enticed by certain aspects of the world. Things such as money that have a tendency to to overwhelm us at times. But as Balaam was seeing things in the now but not yet, we too are coming into a season that helps us prepare for the already and the not yet. Yet we as Christians believe that Jesus has come to earth once through God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. We believe that he was here. We see that in the classic stories of Jesus being born to a virgin 2,000 years ago. We see how the angels came to tell the shepherds of the event that had already taken place. We see the story of the wise men, and many say that Balaam's statement in this verse is what started the wise men to how they traversed a great distance, we believe, to make that journey when they saw the star in the east. And we know they believed that someone very special was being born into the world. And by the time they got here to where the star had shone, The already, at least that part of the already, it seemed had taken place, perhaps. Because Herod was going to have male children under the age of two killed. It would seem to me then, Herod was just covering his bases, I suppose. He wanted to make sure that the supposed king that was about to be born or that had been born, whatever the case may be, was never going to be a challenge to Herod. And if you've ever looked at the history of this particular Herod and his family, bad people all the way around. Killed his wife because he thought she was getting too much popularity. Killed his brother because he thought he wanted to take his place. All these things. I mean, it's a nasty man. So this is what this is what they're fighting here. But thankfully, the wise men were exactly what they said they were. They were wise. And they didn't tell Herod where the child was. Anyway, they were still part and parcel of the already and the not yet. Jesus has been born, but as we know, it would be sometime before his ministry on earth would begin. And as the shepherds were privileged to be the first evangelist, we too have the privilege and the mandate to teach and preach of a Messiah who came to earth But we believe, we have been told in God's holy word that he will return to us. The already and the not yet. Looking to a king for salvation into the future, but not yet. He's not quite here to take us back in his return to us. We the people of God, as Balaam was a prophet of God's word, broken sometimes untrusting in God's promises, we are called to do what God has called us to do. And like Balaam, we might sometimes need a bit of prodding to get the job done. 
But believe me, if God has called you to, to a task, to a ministry perhaps, something as simple as sharing the gospel with, uh, or sharing your faith with one person this year in the Advent season of 2023, as the old saying goes, you can run, but you cannot hide. God will get you. God will find you. And God will use you. By the way, just a little side note, if you can show me where there were three wise men in the scriptures, I'd be thrilled to find that out. But I can tell you, you won't find it, okay? So I'll save you some time. Back to Balaam. I I had to throw that in. I had to, okay? Back to Balaam. Let's look at the rest of verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. This, I believe, would have to be speaking of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. I think that this is thinking along the lines of what perhaps maybe Moses experienced before God took him home. Maybe the, the, the now and the not yet. Is it possible God let Abraham see that, all of that, what he would have to do? He, God would have to, in, what he would have to endure in letting his only son come to earth to be sacrificed on a tree for all of us? In Genesis 22, maybe he got to see the coming Jesus through Melchizedek in Genesis 14. There are examples of other early prophets by a group to even a single individual man named Manoah in Judges 13. Anybody know who Manoah is? You Bible trivious? Okay, you're about to find out. It was Samson's father. All right? Manoah asked a visiting angel to him and his wife. This this angel came to them. And he asked what the angel's name was. And the angel was a little bit hesitant about telling him who it was. But he did say, my name is Wonderful. And so because of that, many people think that that's maybe looking at a reference to Isaiah 9, where the child... Uh, that, that Laura read this morning was going to be born to the Israelites. His name was Wonderful as well. Wonderful Counselor. Could arguably be the, the angel sent to Manoah and his wife. Could have been Jesus. Some would argue to that point. To that end, it's possible many were witness to the coming of the Messiah well before he came. Just like Balaam was able to do and be that witness God needed him to be. He was, as Balaam said, I see him not now, I behold him, but not near. The almost and the not yet. The theme continues. Lastly, we read Balaam's words, it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Or in another translation, batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of of tumult. The Messiah will eventually rule over all the nations that surround Israel. We know that. We understand that. Here and in the following verses, God spoke about the neighboring nations of Israel, which included Moab, Edom, Amalek, and the Kenites, and their future through Balaam. Now, Balak, Balak again, was the king of the Moabites. He must have been both grieved and outraged to hear his paid-for prophet 
speak these words against Moab, cursing them instead of cursing Israel. But Israel's deliverer, the star and the scepter, would lead them in triumph over both Moab and Edom and the rest of the world. One commentator I read said that in the distant future, both peoples would be conquered, captured, and eventually would disappear from being distinctive ethnic groups on on the face of the planet. The phraseology of crushing of the head is a symbol of defeating one's enemies in, this is another trivia, in Egyptian, Ugaritic, there's a big one, and a Hebrew literature. So this has been used historically for a long time, just under different uh, sets of circumstances. Maybe not in our understanding of things, but we have seen the crushing of the, the bruising of the head, the, the, that sort of thing throughout the scriptures. So we understand that a little bit. This prediction of Moab's total defeat is at the hand of a future Israelite king. It's an appropriate point for Balaam to end. He's been called in so that through this curse, Balak, the king of Moab, might defeat Israel. Balaam declares that the reverse is indeed going to take place. Moab will be destroyed by a coming king of Israel. Did these wise men come because of the star that shall come out of Jacob that in this passage was to, to see but not yet? Did they read the same passage and somehow wait for a, a planned journey, knowing that the approximate time for it to appear that they were going to begin their trek to the manger all was about the same time? Or did they do like you and I are supposed to do? Just simply step out in faith and follow what God has ordained for us to do as we see in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Know that when we decide to follow what God has planned for us, He will be and He will remain faithful to us as we go along life's pathways. As we said before, this is the beginning of the Advent season for us as believers in Christ Jesus. Another opportunity to travel to the place where it all began. In a manger, surrounded by a mom and a dad who loved him dearly but had no idea the greatness, the magnitude of the son that they had just helped bring into the world. And yet their faith, as it was with Balaam, as it is with so many who came before Christ, entered into this world and who believed after he returned home. They knew. They knew who was coming and coming back at some point in time. Theirs was a faith that would bring them eternal life. Their faith in that Messiah may have at times wavered, but they never lost that faith. That's key. They were human beings, fractured jars of clay who lived each day for that one who would be the star, that would carry that scepter, that would crush his enemies and break down all the sons of tumult. As we've seen in Revelation, both then, now, 
and tomorrow. We see this time of year as a a time of great joy, of rekindling relationships with those that we love. Will this be the year that we see Jesus for who He is and who He should be in our lives? And will we be ready to share Him with any and with all who will simply listen? Ready to do as Balaam did, to, to tell about that star who we, who we both have, have, we know He has been here once. But we know, we believe with every fiber of our being that He will return to take us to be with Him eternally. Or will we just get caught up in all the hoopla of what the secular world wishes for us again this year? Let this Advent season be the beginning of a new and lasting relationship with the one who came to save you from your sins. And who gave us the promise that He would return to take us to be with Him eternally. Celebrate the birth of Jesus this year. But remember that star? The one the wise men followed from parts unknown? Why don't you decide to follow that star this year as well? It just might be a difference maker. Just as it was for our friend Balaam. Let's pray. God, thank you for men like Balaam, who many would overlook as just uh, maybe even a, a minor uh, prophet, if you, if you will. And yet, Lord, you used him for great work. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for these examples that you continue to give us throughout the Old and the New Testaments of how just a common man can make all the difference to a community. And when we get down to it, when one person can tell many about the good news of the gospel, well, he ain't minor anymore. That may be one of the most important people that ever come into our lives. So we just thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege of being used by you to further your kingdom. We just ask that you'll continue that process And let us go out and make a difference for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.